Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The sun is out. The mild weather continues. Here we are in early February. We've not had much of a winter at all. Very unusual. And I did say right out of the gate here this hour, Doug Swinhart not feeling well today and is not available for Tech Talk. And we do apologize for that. We have a lot of loyal fans, and we certainly do appreciate that. Once again, Doug not available today for Tech Talk. He's not feeling well. But we can direct you to the website, WCCRadio.com. And we have a lot of great podcasts there. So just go to the website, WCCRadio.com, and check out the library of podcasts, uh, if you wish. And a lot of great info in those podcasts as well. And many of those topics are evergreen. So it's one of those, if you're looking for Tech Talk today, once again, Doug, not feeling well. We hope to uh, do the show again very soon. We'll keep our fingers crossed about next week and Doug being available. But we do have an outstanding guest joining us. And speaking of tech, uh, space flight to be specific, Stephen Clark joins us from Iris Technica. Uh, Stephen, good to visit with you. I hope you're doing well. Same to you, Steve. Happy to join you again. Yeah, good good to visit. And uh, let's get up to date on, on some things we generally don't talk about because uh, when we do visit, we talk a lot about what SpaceX is up to or maybe what uh, the Chinese are up to or what's going on with the Artemis program, et cetera. You know, the, the big, big stories when it comes to space flight and particularly human space flight. But, but I did want to get to what's happening with robotic missions, particularly Mars, and it looks as though uh, the, the Ingenuity helicopter that was taking brief flights on Mars will fly no more. That's right, Steve. This was uh, the first uh, airborne flying robot to ever explore another planet named Ingenuity. It flew to Mars um, with the Perseverance rover that NASA sent uh, to the Red Planet back in 2021. And it was originally um, only supposed to fly five times. It was supposed to be a proof of concept that uh, a rotorcraft, uh, a small helicopter drone, basically, it's about the size of a small suitcase, um, could fly on another planet. And it succeeded in that in a big way. In fact, it completed more than 70 flights over the course of its uh, career. NASA just kept it going, and it actually transformed from this uh, experiment that may or may not work into a robot that was conducting science and was actually helping 
the navigators back on Earth plot a course for the Perseverance rover as it drove across the Martian surface, uh, kind of as a scout. So uh, a a really um, a really big success story for NASA and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory out in California that developed this uh, Ingenuity helicopter drone. And in fact, uh, it was so successful that this is going to become kind of a more standard part of NASA's robotic exploration strategy going forward. They're already planning more drones, more of these uh, similar flying uh, helicopters that will go to Mars uh, perhaps later in the 2020s. There's a similar one that's uh, right now being developed to fly uh, in the atmosphere of uh, one of Saturn's moons named Titan uh, in uh, the early 2030s. And this is kind of opening up a new domain of exploration for uh, NASA. You know, NASA, in the history of robotic exploration of the solar system, uh, sent out spacecraft to fly by planets, then orbit planets, and then land on planets. And now there's a new domain of exploration that Ingenuity has opened up uh, to uh, fly in the atmospheres of other planets like Mars or, or Titan, which is the size of a planet, uh, one of the moons of Saturn. And uh, what you know, what happened to, to kill off Ingenuity in the end was it kind of landed off the balance and actually broke one of its rotors uh, a few weeks ago uh, during one of its fly- during its last flight. And it's uh, still alive, still sending back telemetry and data, but it's uh, unable to fly again. Yeah, and Stephen, this this is huge. Whenever humans, and I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime, it remains to be seen, that that humans will set foot on Mars. And having this capability is, is huge in, in aiding humans because, well, let's face it, we, we found that out on Earth a long, long time ago, that, that flying machines help you cover a lot of ground in, in the fact with high-res photography, et cetera, and other instruments, you, you can get a lot more work done if you have a capable uh, flying machine drone, if you will, doing some of this work. Exactly right, Steve. I think one of the first applications will be kind of as a robot robot scout for future rovers and eventually humans on Mars and other, right. other worlds and uh, to find out what's over the next ridge, basically, you know, what's over that hill. Do we need to go over there? Is there something worth going, or should we, you know, drive or or, or uh, navigate the, another direction to to find some resources or scientific target or whatever they're looking for? And uh, you know, it certainly will make the exploration of other planets a thing more efficient in the end. And uh, you know, one of the big technical um, uncertainties going into this Ingenuity uh, drone. And by the way, the Ingenuity, the entire Ingenuity. Drone only call only quote unquote cost fifteen million dollars to develop build and develop and, and get to Mars, and that's that's chump change by NASA standards. The rover uh, that took it there that you know at least in the public eye um, Ingenuity outshined in many ways <laughs> cost two billion dollars to get right. to Mars, and uh, the the Ingenuity itself this helicopter cost fifteen million. So just just a, a orders of magnitude difference in in scale there. And, and cost. So it was a really shining success for, for NASA. And one thing that was, you know, going into this experiment, getting it to Mars, was can it fly in the atmosphere of Mars? Because the atmosphere of Mars is uh, 1% the density of Earth's atmosphere at sea level. So if your listeners are familiar with helicopters, they can't fly above a certain altitude because the air is too thin. Uh, and the air, the air density on the surface of Mars is equivalent to something like 
100,000 feet or even higher in Earth's atmosphere. So having a an aircraft flying in such uh, a rarefied air, low-density air, and still being able, being able to generate lift and operate is a huge, huge uh, technical accomplishment. Yeah, really cool stuff. By the way, Japan has made it to the moon. That That's another very interesting story when it comes to unmanned space flight, if you will, and and it, it didn't go as planned, but still quite an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, it's a little robot that could. Uh, uh, Japanese, the Japan uh, SLIM mission, the small lander for investigating the moon, really, uh, you know, it landed on the moon a few weeks ago and basically tipped over and landed nose first in the end, uh, kind of face-planted onto the moon gently, so it survived the landing and returned photos and uh, some data from the lunar surface. And, but it was an intact landing, even though it didn't quite go according to plan, and it was returning data from the lunar surface. So that makes Japan the fifth nation to achieve a soft landing on the moon after the U.S., uh, Soviet Union, slash Russia, China, and India. So now Japan is number five in that uh, list of countries to uh, make that achievement. And notably about this mission, uh, one of its main goals that it succeeded in was uh, a precise landing on the moon. And it actually landed within, it was the most precise landing that anyone has ever accomplished on the moon, even including the Apollo missions with uh, astronauts on board. It landed within about 150 to 200 feet of its target. Uh, so that really, um, you know, when NASA or uh, its international partners, including Japan, talk about building a moon base, precise landings on the moon to uh, deliver crew or supplies to a moon base will be required. And uh, Japan has demonstrated that technology now. Stephen Clark joining us from Ars Technica and uh, courtesy of the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline here on this Saturday. Once again, no attack talk today. Uh, Doug not feeling well, and we hope he can return to the airwaves soon with Tech Talk, normally on the air between 3 and 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, sports schedules permitting. Uh, Stephen, here is another tidbit, and folks may have missed it. Going back in time, as uh, uh pegged SpaceX and Boeing uh, to build commercial crew capability to ferry crews back and forth to the International Space Station, a cargo and crew. And we know SpaceX has done a lot of that. They've had a lot of success with Falcon 9 and their Dragon capsule. It has been much more difficult for Boeing to get their Starliner up and running. And it looks as though at some point this spring, uh, Starliner may fly with human crew. That's right, Steve. It looks like that is uh, looking like it could happen in the April, mid-April time frame. Uh, but, Steve, we've been here before with Starliner being a few months away yeah. from where we think they're on the cusp of uh, Boeing launching astronauts uh, finally to the space station to give uh, NASA and the U.S. a second uh, provider for uh, astronaut launches to uh, low-Earth orbit. And, we thought we were here about a year ago, a few months from a flight with astronauts, but um, uh, there were some parachute issues that Boeing and NASA uncovered with the Starliner. It's supposed to land under parachutes out in the desert in New Mexico at the end of each mission, and there were some issues that were uncovered with the parachutes. They also did a review of all the materials that are inside the spacecraft and actually found a flammable tape that had been used to bind up some of the wiring harnesses inside the spacecraft and obviously that is a huge safety risk it's almost unfathomable how 
that escaped uh, detection by Boeing and NASA engineers until very, very close to the flight. Yeah. They actually had to rip out all of that tape. Um, it was several, many pounds of tape, actually, in, in a cumulative sense of how much they took out and replaced it with a non-flammable uh, tape to uh, meet the specifications for safety. So they removed all that tape. They've cycled out all that tape. And they have also uh, recently, uh, uh, within the last month or so, conducted a parachute test uh, to uh, verify a change to the parachute design. And all signs uh, look favorable right now for Starliner to launch from Cape Canaveral in April uh, with two astronauts heading up to the International Space Station. And uh, that we'll see if that uh, comes to pass. But right now, that seems to be the schedule, just maybe two and a half months away. That'll be a short-duration test flight. If that's successful, then Boeing will enter the rotation with SpaceX. They'll alternate back and forth uh, for long-duration astronaut flights, uh, six months up to the ISS. And and it's mind-boggling considering one of the great tragedies in the human spaceflight era is is the fire in Apollo 1. Exactly. exactly. That's... You know how how that escaped yeah. uh, detection by Boeing and NASA is really a, a head scratcher to me, because uh, this spacecraft has been in development at this point for about 14 years uh, since 2010, and uh, you know they've been designing it and building it and testing it throughout all that time. They've uncovered uh, myriad issues with software and uh, and also um, uh, software and also the the parachute issue. And something as simple as flammable tape uh, appeared to have yeah. um, escaped attention until, you know, they were they were planning to launch, I think, last August, last July, last August 2022. And they didn't uncover this tape issue until like May, a couple of months before they were supposed to fly. So that grounded the program until this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and for Boeing, big picture, uh, people are familiar with the problems with the 737 MAX. Uh, the the fatal crashes, the the door that blew out, etc. I I don't know if we can emphasize enough how important a Starliner and a successful Starliner test is, not only for that particular program, but for the company as a whole. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's important to take a step back and look at everything that Boeing is doing, and you know the. Starliner program has been hamstrung by these issues. It, it's running five years late at this point. It was supposed to fly astronauts in the 2019 timeframe, as was SpaceX. SpaceX launched in 2020. Boeing still hasn't launched astronauts. Uh, you mentioned the 737 MAX, uh, the two crashes a few years ago that uh, yeah. killed uh, several hundred people. That were, was caused by a uh, an oversight uh, by Boeing. Uh, and then more recently, the door that came off the 737, also a quality control issue that has been attributed to Boeing. And, uh, you know, Boeing also um, has built the core stage for the space launch system, which is NASA's giant moon rocket, part of the Artemis program to carry uh, astronauts back to the moon. Uh, that core stage flew perfectly by all accounts a few years ago, or 2022 now, a little over a year ago, and on the first flight of the SLS rocket. And, but, the core stage is cost prohibitive, really, for for any sustained uh, program to explore the moon. Cost, uh, you know, the core stage alone costs over a billion dollars per flight, and uh, that was delayed also several years. The, the right. SLS uh, rocket and all those delays from like 2017 to 2022, five-year delay, 
pretty much all stemmed from the core stage, which was a Boeing product. Quick break. We'll have more with Stephen Clark in a moment from Ars Technica. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about, uh, you know, always one of the big stories, and that's what's going on with SpaceX. They had a rare double launch, one in Florida, one out in California. That was pretty cool. Uh, we'll get into that. And then, once again, one of my favorite topics, when will Starship fly again? Uh, we'll, we'll get into that with Stephen in a moment here on News Talk. 830-WCCO. We continue with Stephen Clark. He covers space flight for Ars Technica, and he's joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Stephen, always good to visit with you. SpaceX, they have a very busy schedule year planned, and they're off to a roaring start. As now we move into February, they they had that double launch of uh, Starlink satellites, and, and I also think some other hardware for another customer, and that was in Florida and California. So, I mean, they, they, they really have a robust schedule planned this year. You're exactly right. They've launched uh, already 10 times just in the month of January. So uh, they are targeting uh, between 140 and 150 launches uh, this year. Last year they ended up, uh, I think, 98 launches. My memory serves maybe 99, yeah. just shy of 100 uh, they're going to try to increase that by about 50% this year, and they're uh, off to a good start. Uh, Ten missions in the first month of the year, and they said they're going. They're doing some modifications to some of their processes and upgrading some launch facilities down in Florida and in California. So throughout the year, the actual launch rate will steadily increase uh, toward the end of the year. So. Uh, Ten launches in a month is a great start to get to that 140 to 150 milestone. And just in the first month of the year, they've launched um, uh, over 100 Starlink satellites. They have launched a crew to the space station. They've launched cargo to the space station for uh, Northrop Grumman, uh, which is actually one of their competitors. Northrop Grumman's rocket uh, is uh, now been retired. So for the foreseeable future, the next couple of years, they're going to be launching Northrop Grumman cargo missions to the space station on SpaceX rockets. So that's another example of SpaceX at the service of one of its rivals. We've seen that several times with other competitors of SpaceX uh, launching on SpaceX rockets. So, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the first month of the year kind of runs the gamut of uh, all types of missions, crew, cargo, Starlink, uh, communication satellite for Sweden. And uh, they're going to pick up again uh, this month with a couple of missions, uh, a mission for NASA coming up on February the 6th, a uh, climate research mission for NASA they're going to be launching from Florida, and then more Starlink missions as well on top of that uh, throughout the rest of the month. Yeah, it's just absolutely groundbreaking. And, and you and I have talked about this before, but it's worth noting. If you went back, say, 15 years ago and told anybody in this business – in the space flight business, anywhere in the world, uh, government, uh, contractors, etc., and said they would be doing what they're doing today in in late 2023, early 2024, and the cadence and the reusability and bringing back the first stages and quickly refurbing those and launching those again. Nobody would have believed that. You're right, Steve, and, and I think, you know, what SpaceX is doing right now has always been a dream of a lot of engineers at NASA and other companies, but they didn't have the resources and the will and to go after reusability and 
uh, increasing a launch cadence to this degree. Like 15 years ago, there were uh, maybe a dozen launches a year from uh, from U.S. launch sites from Florida, California, uh, spaceports. Uh, last year, there were more than 100 from both spaceports. This year, uh, could be approaching 200 almost from both spaceports this year. Yeah. Uh, when you combine uh, what SpaceX and other companies may be doing. Um, so it's really an incredible uh, increase. The, the ramp up of launch cadence has been bewildering to watch, really, because I first started covering space about 15 years ago full time, and there was like a launch a month. Now, you know, you can get uh, a year's worth of launches uh, in less than a month in many cases. So yeah. it, is, it is really, um, really impressive to watch. And, you know, SpaceX has been at the vanguard of this, and there are a host of companies with very capable of engineers and plans to uh, to try to replicate and uh, what SpaceX is doing to, you know, instill some uh, more competition in the launch market. And, uh, you know, I think the question is they're chasing a moving target because SpaceX is moving so fast with Falcon 9. And we can talk about Starship in a moment, but that's the next um, frontier for SpaceX. And, uh, you know, if these competitors get to a Falcon 9 light capability in a few years' time, well, SpaceX will have already eclipsed that with Starship. Yeah, and that, that gets into the, the fully reusable. Um, there, there's still the second stage and, and other parts that, you know, every time they launch are are junk. You know, they're 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 disposable. But but still to be able to recover what they have been able to, that, that first stage and of the Falcon nine and those nine rocket engines, I, I think one booster reached 19 launches before it was lost after landing, um, mm-hmm. tipped over on a barge, et cetera, is, is really extraordinary. But Starship is that next leap because this system ideally will be fully reusable like an airliner. Right, right. So, the, yeah, it's the Falcon 9, the first stage is recoverable, reusable. The upper stage is still expendable. And it's not just the leap also from, you know, from partial to full reusability. It's also the leap in uh, mass to orbit. And uh, the Falcon 9 can lift on the order of 20 to 25 tons um, to low Earth orbit if, if they fully expend it. You know, you have to reserve some fuel, some fuel in the booster to get it back to land safely. And that uh, cuts into your payload lift capability. But the Starship is so big. Uh, it'll be lifting on the order of, of uh, more than 100 metric tons. There are plans to upgrade that to approaching 200 tons uh, down the road. So it's a, a massive, literally a massive increase in lift capability to orbit, also fully reusable. So uh, it's going to be cheaper to operate than the Falcon 9 if, if SpaceX's plans come to fruition, and it will be a much more capable rocket, and all that will result in one measurement that uh, a lot of people use, economists use in space flight is cost per pound or cost per kilogram to orbit. And uh, right now with Falcon 9, it's, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but it's in the couple thousand dollars per kilogram uh, to orbit uh, area. And uh, Starship, if it's uh, as successful as SpaceX plans and hopes it will be, that will bring it down into the, you know, into the uh, low hundreds of dollars yeah. per kilogram to orbit. Extraordinary. All right, final thought before we let you go, and we do appreciate your time, Stephen, as always. When are we going to see another test launch? Because it sounds, in in the analysis, 
that they came very close to reaching their goals um, of getting the upper stage or starship uh, almost all the way around and landed near Hawaii, that that they're close. When are we going to see another launch? Yep, that, that's, that's my understanding as well, is they got very close. Uh, in fact, the starship upper stage, if it had burned its engines for a minute longer, it would have it would have achieved uh, all of those goals. Uh, but there was some kind of uh, uh, a fire that broke out uh, on the uh, starship in the latter phase of the flight. Uh, but, you know, the first flight of the starship full-size rocket last year uh, did a lot of damage to the launch pad. There was a lot of rework and redesign that had to happen. This time, not so much. So I think right now it's uh, really a, a paperwork Thing. Uh, SpaceX needs to finalize. I have not heard any news that they've actually com- formally completed their investigation. SpaceX investigates uh, as long as there's no uh, death or damage to a third-party property or people. Uh, the operator, in this case SpaceX, uh, has the authority to investigate its own mishaps, and they have to complete that investigation, send a report to the Federal Aviation Administration, and the FAA reviews that and signs off on it, then we'll issue a launch license to SpaceX to do a third Starship flight. Um, I haven't heard any. Uh, I don't think SpaceX has submitted that report yet to, to the FAA. So once that is in the hands of the FAA, FAA, then it's a purely regulatory exercise to get approval to launch the third Starship. Wow. So if you had me predict when that might be, I still think there's a chance it could happen this month. That there's a chance it could happen in March. I don't foresee it hap- taking another two or three months. I, I, if I had to put money on it, I would bet it would still happen in February or March. All right. We'll keep our fingers crossed because it is uh, quite a sight. Uh, I've heard it's just absolutely incredible uh, in person, but uh, even from afar, it's, it's pretty amazing to see really what amounts to be a, a, a fairly large building lift off and yeah. uh, head for space. Yeah, it's a 40-story tall building. Think of it that way, Um, (laughs) lifting off and going to space. It's incredible to see. Yeah, so if you're near downtown Minneapolis, imagine uh, one of of those larger buildings downtown. uh, uh, Leave ground and and head for orbit. Well, Stephen, always good to visit with you. And once again, they can follow your work at arstechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. Stephen Clark. And we're going to take a quick break for the weather. Come back. Phil Miller is going to join us from the Star Tribune. He covers the Twins. There is news on the television front. Twins games will be available on TV. And uh, it is a very familiar name. And uh, it it doesn't include the abil- availability to uh, uh, stream it w- without... Uh, cable television or satellite package. We'll get into all of that uh, with Phil coming up in a moment here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. The 20... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? 
Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Four season coming up rapidly. Pitchers and catchers later this month. Spring training will begin down in Fort Myers. And another season on the radio. Chris Atterbury, the lead voice. Uh, you know that. All the games here on News Talk, A3OWCCO. And uh, we now know the games will be on television. We know where they'll be on television. And it's very familiar. Phil Miller joins us. He covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. Uh, Phil, always good to visit with you. I hope you're well. And you too, Steve. Uh, it's almost time to get going, huh? Yeah. Uh, I, I, are your bags packed for Fort Myers? <laughs> I've got... Uh, three more days until uh, I leave, so uh, wow. we're getting there. It is amazing how quick it goes, um, and uh, before you know it, pitchers and catchers will report and work will begin on a new season. Let's start with the TV deal. Uh, a TV deal is done, and it's going to be very familiar. Not really much change for Twins fans than what we saw in 23. No, and I think the Twins are really disappointed uh, by it. I uh, I'd be surprised if they say that you don't sign a, a several million dollar deal and then say, uh, yeah, we wish we hadn't, but uh, it, it does not allow them to uh, put, um, put their games on uh, any uh, streaming uh, service uh, to uh, sell directly to fans that don't have uh, cable or satellite or some other way to get the games. And they really, well, they all but promised that that was what they were going to do this, uh, this off season uh, since they're, uh, old contract have expired, but um, Diamond Sports Group's uh, bankruptcy has uh, has kind of uh, messed everything up in uh, baseball right now. Are they going to go out of business? Aren't they? Uh, in mid December, they were sure the Twins were sure that uh, that they were going out of business and they would have to find a new partner. Uh, all of a sudden, things changed. Amazon entered the picture, uh, and and it's just all. Uh, it's just all been uh, a mess that they can't uh, um, that they have no certainty. So now they at least have certainty the games will be on, but they won't be streaming. And I know uh, that's going to uh, disappoint a lot of fans that don't have uh, cable TV anymore. So uh, direct TV or uh, traditional cable TV once again are the only options. I know the Timberwolves and Wild you're able to get those games through the Valley Sports North app. But, but that will not be available. And as you pointed out, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes and sorting out the bankruptcy and will Diamond and ultimately Bally Sports North be able to continue to do business. What made this unique is the Twins contract had expired. They, they were free to go in another direction. So obviously there really weren't any other options than to go with Bally. Is that the sense you got, Phil? Well, there there were some other options, but they uh, they they were left without enough time to explore them. Sure. And, and, and beside behind the scenes, what's really going on is that, and uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred uh, testified to this in court in uh, June in a hearing I was at. Uh, baseball wants to create one-stop shopping on the uh, MLB TV app, where you can 
if there's a game you want to watch, if there's a team you want to watch all season, if there are a lot of games you want to watch, uh, you can uh, you can buy them from MLB uh, at uh, at whatever price. Uh, and so that they would like to sell twin subscriptions to fans, and you can just watch them on your uh, phone or pad or TV, however you uh, want to watch the games. Um, and so that behind the scenes, I think MLB is encouraging teams not to re-up with Bally, and they are trying to extricate teams from their Bally contracts. And I think that that is having a uh, – I, I think they want the Twins to be part of that. Um, and they want uh, the uh, – they already sort of control the Padres, Rockies, and Diamondbacks telecast now. Um, so they're hoping to have, I think they were hoping this year. Now they're hoping next year to have at least six and as many as 10 teams available on the app with grand designs down the road of, uh, having, um, having all 30 teams on that. But in the short term, the twins are kind of out in the cold. Um, they did not have a contract, uh, and so, uh, you know, we'll see a year from now what MLB is able to pull off. Yeah, so once again, no streaming option beyond what what people have been used to in the past when it comes to Twins telecasts this year. And I, and I think long term, just a quick thought on that, you've got these huge television contracts in some of the big markets like the L.A. Dodgers or the New York Yankees and their uh, famous Yes television contract that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still can't imagine that the, the clubs and the owners of those clubs are, are going to forfeit the huge revenue advantage they have associated with that, you know, over the shorter medium term, maybe over the long haul, they'll be able to get together. But that, that that's one thing the NFL has going for it. They have 32 clubs and they share in that national television revenue equally top to bottom, whether it's New York or L.A. or Jacksonville, they all get the same TV money. It is, but they only have 17 games apiece, so uh, it's Correct. a lot yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The baseball teams have a lot more games to uh, to televise, and uh, and you know there's not that much interest here in a uh, in a Rangers uh, Blue Jays game. So, Correct. Uh, um, so yeah, the, uh, and the Cubs. You're right. The Cubs, Dodgers, uh, Red Sox, Yankees all own their distributor. Um, so they do have a financial advantage. I will say that there have been hints that maybe uh, baseball might reconsider or rework or reconfigure how revenue sharing uh, works among the teams. And so uh, that might uh, convince uh, perhaps those teams uh, into going along with a 30-team MLB app. That is the theory I've heard uh, floated out there about what, Rob Manfred's uh, long-term plan is, but uh, you know that's still a few years away at least. All right, so Twins fans, if, if you've got cable or direct TV, hang on to it. That's what you'll need uh, to see them on Valley Sports North this upcoming season. Uh, one other thing we wanted to get into, and uh, an old Twins nemesis has signed with the Twins. Tell us more, Phil. Yeah, uh, the Twins, after trading their uh, their best switch hitter, uh, went out and got another one, uh, Carlos Santana, uh, who uh, spent a decade uh, destroying Twins pitching uh, pretty regularly. Uh, he is 
He has uh, the second most home runs in target field history by an opponent. Um, he, he uh, since 2010, he has the second most uh, home runs anywhere against the Twins. Uh, so it's uh, but he is 38. Um, but home runs is what he he still can do. He played 146 games last year for the Pirates and Brewers, and he still hit 23 home runs. Um, that's uh, that's that would have led the uh, Twins last year. Uh, people may forget, but uh, Michael A. Taylor actually led the Twins in home runs last year. So uh, and, and despite that, they still led the entire American League as a team. So. He is a he's a big bat. It might signal that maybe uh, they're not sure about uh, um, Kirilov's Alex Kirilov's uh, shoulder condition after he had surgery this off season. Um, he will uh, mostly serve as a DH, I would imagine, but he can play first base if you need him to. And uh, he's a switch hitter, better against uh, better from the right-handed side. Okay. But uh, um, you know he has a. He has a really good history in target field, and uh, he kind of, if you squint a little bit, you can kind of see Nelson Cruz in the middle of that Twins lineup. Well, there you go. Uh, Carlos Santana, uh, veteran bat, joining the club. Hey, Phil, thanks for the update. And by the way, you have stories on both of those topics at StarTribune.com right now. Folks want to do a deeper dive on the Santana deal and uh, a re-up in 24 with Bally Sports North. Always good to visit with you, Phil. Safe travels to Florida. You, t- you, t- you too, Steve. I'll talk to you from Florida. All right, there he is. Phil Miller covers the club for the Star Tribune, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Quick break, much more. All the news at four on the way here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. All the news, all the weather at 4 o'clock here at News Talk, 830-WCCO. Golf at Pebble Beach, this is one of those elevated events, limited field, uh, no cut, more money, uh, et cetera. And they've been fighting weather, of course. You've heard about uh, the storms that have been pounding California, but they are playing golf today. And we'll check the leaderboard on that. A little bit later on. NHL All-Star Game, uh, by the way, uh, continues. All-Star festivities, if you will. It's not not a game like it was. You used to have the East versus the West. A- at some point, will they go back to that? I doubt it. Because they have this three-on-three tournament. The thing that annoys me is that it, it's not by division anymore. They, they have team captains, etc. I, I, I don't know what they gain by that uh, in any way, shape, or form, but that is what they're doing. By the way, good news over at the barn. Uh, Minnesota goes to overtime and beat Northwestern today. Uh, the final 75-66. to 66. And uh, the uh, Golden Gophers... We're led by Dawson Garcia with 20 points in that victory. All five starters hit double figures today in that overtime win. Once again, 75-66. Uh, the Golden Gopher is now 5-5 five and five in the Big Ten, 14-7 overall. And if they keep it up, maybe a tournament team this year? We'll, we'll see about that. We have all the news, all the weather at 4. We'll go outdoors with Steve Carney. 
Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.